0: What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Pass the Brew. I'm your host, once again, Mark Cunningham, and today I am ludicrously excited. Yeah, added a new one. Now, I'm super excited to bring on Kenny Baker, owner of Ethnos Coffee, down in Memphis. Uh, This conversation is amazing. I can't wait to share it with you guys. Uh, Yeah, Kenny shares his heart behind why he roasts what... um, he hopes to see in the coffee industry, how he got into roasting, the city of Memphis. Uh, yeah, changes he likes to see in the coffee world. It's just a great conversation. Plus, him and I talk a little bit about basketball and throw our picks out there for who potentially could win the, um, the NBA championship tournament in Orlando when it comes back. Uh, so pretty pumped about this conversation to share with you guys. Uh, we're not going to talk too much before we dive into that. Um, I would just encourage you to go check out Kenny Baker's um, Instagram, I'm even plugging this before the conversation starts, uh, his, um, coffee company at ethnos coffee, uh, super pumped. I'm getting their coffee set up here. He's got his collab with flight of fancy with bags that are literally works of art, um, plus coffee. That's going to be incredible. So go check his Instagram out. Pump for this conversation. No more announcements. Let's get into it. Here's the conversation. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Pass the Brew. I am pumped today to have Kenny Baker, owner of Ethnos Coffee, uh, down in Memphis, um, for our conversation today. Uh, yeah, Kelly, Kenny, welcome to the podcast.
1: Man, thanks for having me. Glad to be here, Mark. Yeah,
0: no problem. Uh, so first off, what do, you, what, do you got, what do you got in the cup?
1: Man, so I got my, it's a Kanye West ultralight beans cup from okay. uh, Gio Herrera on Instagram. Okay. Um and I got my single origin Yunnan that we sell from Ethnos. Oh nice. It's, it's like our most versatile. It's my favorite coffee. We we run it on espresso, pour over, Aeropress, everything. So
0: Love it. I like I coffee that can it. be done on everything. Um rather yeah. than just like this is filter coffee and this is espresso and I like yeah. things that are just just brew it however you want. It's gonna taste good. Right.
1: Versatility, man. That's yeah, that's man. what we're looking for and basketball players and coffee
0: perfect well that is just the most perfect segue because we are going to talk about coffee and your kind of experience and journey and all that kind of stuff but first we are going to talk about sports and specifically we're going to talk about basketball because that is your favorite sport correct
1: yeah absolutely
0: right so how did like why basketball what was the like why that over other sports
1: man growing up in memphis Like, it's just – it's what we did in the neighborhood. Um, I grew up with guys who should have went D1, you know, dunking on people in the middle of the street, stuff like that. Um, uh, Baseball and football were cool. We kind of dabbled in everything. But, like, basketball culture in Memphis is just street culture. And it's, like, the character, the grit to it. And it just matches our city. And, uh, you know, we finally got a pro team, you know, back – back when they moved from Vancouver yeah uh, you to- stole them
0: <laughs> from Canada we only got one now <laughs>
1: yeah yeah hey you got a you got a chip though you got a yeah, chip
0: yeah that was uh that was big that's cool cuz like obviously like, in Canada it's the reason everybody's into hockey is because that's just what you do it's what everybody yeah. does right it's like you grow up playing you know hockey in the middle of the street in you know you always see those like commercials kind of making fun of it where kids yell car and move the nets out of the way that's legit like that's how it is you play on the street the car comes they stop and everybody like i've seen cars wait until like a play happens and then they'll go by (laughs) (laughs) that's so much respect yeah so yeah it's when a sport is so ingrained in the culture it's just like what you grow up kind of uh kind of watching and and playing and all that kind of stuff but um i'm also a, a pretty big basketball fan, probably not quite to the same extent. I was really into it back in like, kind of like 2004 to 2008, I think. Um, I was a Matt, like a Mavericks fan. I would still class myself as a Mavericks fan, but that was like when Dirk Nowitzki was like incredible. Like one of the best players completely changed like the big man position, you know, he's shooting threes and everything. Um, unfortunately they, you know, they had that rough series against the heat in Oh four. That was a tough one to watch, but, uh, yeah, man. So, uh, question for you then. So, with the hopefully return of basketball down in Orlando, yeah, um, as we as we look at that, who do you think has the best shot?
1: <clears throat> man, I, one. I think the Grizzlies are going to surprise some people. Yeah. Um, John Morant, leadership, his swag. I mean, dude, he's just going to take Memphis to another level. Um, but if we're talking like championship like I I just I think LeBron's got it in him um I think he's the second greatest player of all time you know behind Jordan and I don't say that as like a slight to LeBron like that's a bro dude's the greatest of you know his era for sure um but man he's just next level for being 36 years old Mm -hmm. like I mean I, I just haven't seen this before you know so I I think the Lakers probably got it in them. you know everybody will probably be back healthy and he's he's so um such a veteran like I just don't he's not gonna get rusty from a few months off he's gonna get healthy
0: so yeah and I think people underestimate like what having a veteran like that means to a team especially when they've been through championships in the past Um, I think you see it in every sport when a team that's new like has never been in the championship before. doesn't have a lot of players who have been like, they just, the pressure of the experience gets them. Right. So having that guy in your locker room who can just calm everybody down, hype them up when they need to be hyped up, like knows, Hey, like the press is going to be like this. These are the questions you're going to get asked. Like, this is the kind of stuff you're going to have to think about. Like that makes such a huge deal. Um, in terms of like who I think could take it, like, honestly, I'm gonna sound biased because I'm Canadian, but I think like Toronto, as well as you said, is Memphis is gonna surprise some people, um, mm. because I think like Kawhi got a lot of the, you know, attention and credit for what the Raptors did last year, and he absolutely like that playoff performance was dominant, like yeah, I mean, without him, you don't get that that buzzer beater that was
1: Jordan-esque, man. For yeah, real. it was
0: it was mental like that, but I think seeing this year before the lockdown happened, like watching the Raptors you know, dominate with, without him, you know, yeah. and Pascal Siakam stepping up. Like, I think Nick Nurse is a better coach than a lot of people give him credit for. And
1: for I sure. think he's
0: going to keep the team focused enough that they could make a push into the playoffs. But then it, when I think about who, who, again, who actually has a chance, like I think the Lakers would be up there. And I think you have to put the Clippers in there just because, again, of Kawhi and like the way he just like turns it on at certain times and guys just can't stop him, right? Like he's yeah. just like, okay, I'm, gonna win the game now I guess yeah
1: (laughs) man both LA teams are scary because like with LeBron and AD it's just an unstoppable duo and then you have uh just the straight up defense that the Clippers have with Beverly Paul George and Kawhi like Mm -hmm. it's straight up locked down
0: type of stuff so LA just is gonna have a good year yeah and I mean, I'm just, oh, I just hope it happens. I'm just so ready for sports to come back. Like I've been, watching, I said this on another podcast, but I've been watching like old reruns. Cause like my favorite sport is NFL uh, or well football in general, but uh, I've been watching like reruns of last year's games on NFL game pass. And like, yeah. Just trying to fill the top, like the full broadcast with commercials and everything because it just feels kind of normal.
1: <laughs> yeah. So who's your squad NFL wise?
0: Yeah. So I'm a 49ers fan. Um, okay. So I, I'm born in Canada. My dad is from California originally. He grew up in like Fresno and sort of San Diego near San Francisco. Like they kind of moved around. Um, but like all his brothers are 49ers fans. My grandpa was a 49ers fan. My older brother was a 49ers fan because he grew up in like the Montana and Young era when they were, you know, the dynasty. Yeah, and so I had their posters on my wall. Didn't really know who they were, but it was like, yeah, okay, I'll I'll be a Forty ers fan. And then, um, as I started to get more into it, I was like, yeah, okay, I'll stick it. I'll stick it out, even though for most of my football loving life, they've been terrible. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> they had like two, three good years with Harbaugh yeah. and Alex Smith and Colin Kaepernick, and then last year, like Kyle, I think we finally saw what Kyle Shanahan could really do in the Forty ers and and going to the Super Bowl and. Like, that is where, when we talk about, like, having experience in the locker room, I think Mm -hmm. the championship just got to them. Like, Kyle's been there before, but he lost it, right? There's nobody in that locker room that's won one before. Well, I guess Richard Sherman um, had, but I think they just, they had too many young guys and just was, it was a little bit too much. And, you know, obviously Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. So what can you do? (laughs) He's a beast. Yeah, but uh, do you, are you college football guys uh, or um, basketball guys as well?
1: man uh yeah i'll do college basketball um don't care about the politics of it yeah you, you know um but big time memphis fan grew up watching penny hardaway going to the pyramid uh which now they play in the fedex forum and so him him coaching now just brings things full circle around for me i was here in the derrick rose years oh yeah um, yeah And uh, I had a student ID that would get me into the games for free. And um, I remember watching Derrick Rose in high school, man, just thinking if Memphis gets him, we will win a championship. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we at least got there, but that was a a heartbreaking, you know, ending to the season. So, um, yeah, man, I I rock with Memphis basketball all through and through. Um, But I've just always been like a fan of individual players. Yeah. You know, that's, like, for the NFL, even in the 90s, you know, it was Deion Sanders. Yeah. You know, and then – Play good. Yeah, and then in uh, baseball, it was Ken Griffey Jr. When he retired, like, I stopped watching pro baseball. Um, And then basketball, it was clearly Jordan, you know, and those guys. And so – but now I rock with, you know, Memphis teams for sure. Yeah. Uh, I struggle with my Titans, but I'll, I'll claim them. I claim
0: <laughs> hey they they surprised a lot of people this year mm-hmm. that that run in the playoffs they like, caught everybody off guard like taking out the patriots and the ravens people were like who is this that's playing right now yeah. what how is this yeah. happening yeah um, yeah i like i like the titans i i i mean I, the reason i like the titans is <clears throat> because i liked marcus mariota i'm an oregon ducks um college sports fan for the most part like i like their basketball team their football team um and so I was a big fan of Marcus Mariota coming out. Obviously he just didn't pan out in the NFL. Like that just happens. I feel like in football more than more than most sports, like these top recruits coming in, like in basketball, you Mm kind of know high school really like what this guy's going to be like. Um, And there's, there's evidence, you know, there's, there's examples of guys developing late. Like you look at Tim Duncan and and those kind of players that really, you know, can become great but a lot of the time you see the talent and the ability at at the high school level and it's kind of like you're you're just coming into college just to do the year right
1: yeah Um, man how do these scouts just know though like there's some guys you know obviously they miss you know mm -hmm. like um I mean even Kawhi was middle first round right mm -hmm. um draft and um like but these guys come out of nowhere, you know, Isaiah Thomas is five foot nine drafted Mm -hmm. last, you know, and and then drops 30 points a game. So like, I just, I wonder, man, what goes into identifying that talent Mm -hmm. that early on? Like, are they looking for a certain like moxie or natural talent or whatever
0: that, that kind of work amazes me. Yeah. Scouting those guys just put in hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. Like you just keep saying hours of, of, just watching the sport. Right. So they start to, you know, they're, they're looking at things that, I mean, even intense fans just don't don't really understand. Right. Um, and cause I listen, you know, I, I listen to a lot of uh, scouting podcasts for football because I find that fascinating as well Is just the ability to, to pick out. Yeah. Like, why is this guy better than that guy? They look yeah. the same. Like they look like they're both good, you know, and you look at a box score and all that kind of stuff. And it just, but they know they just have this ability to see like, well, just the way he does this and his leadership ability and all that kind of stuff, just, you know, yeah. they're able to, to pick it out. But yeah. Bro, that's has- commitment. Uh, a scout scouting high school
1: and college uh, for football. Like that's straight up commitment. Cause there's like a yeah. thousand football players and yeah. you know, you got 400, you know, NBA
0: players, yeah. like, you know who it is. So. Yeah, yeah, scouting. Man, yeah. yeah. Those guys, they just, all they do is travel as well. Like they're just, they're just on planes and in their car, like 90% of their time. I'm just like, yeah, yeah it's cool, but I don't want to do that. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so obviously born and raised in Memphis, by sounds but like, can you tell me a little bit about your city and like, cause I have never been down to Memphis. I've been, I've been to lots of places in the States. Memphis is not somewhere I've, I've made it to, but uh, yeah. Like tell me a little bit about the city.
1: Yeah, man. A uh, lot of history here. Uh, music-wise, culture-wise, obviously MLK uh, being gunned down here, assassinated. Um, so still a lot of racial tension uh, here that, um, you know, we navigate through. Um, you know, it, I, I am truly amazed at like the obstacles the Black community has had to overcome in, in our country. And I've seen it firsthand in our city. Um, and it, it's just a you know um, it's an amazing thing to see but it's also just you know a very difficult thing to see people human beings you know um, have to overcome stuff like that so um, man that's that if you grow up in Memphis like you know race is a conversation it is something you're well aware of you know Uh, I don't know many people in Memphis who walk around saying, oh, I'm colorblind. I don't see race. Like, no, you see the realities of it. Um, And so you see it in the economics here. You see it in the neighborhoods, all that. And so uh, the city, I think, is starting to make a a good turn where there's a lot more economic opportunity. Um, You know, and at least that's what we hope uh, is happening going forward. Uh, But, man, good food, like Man, it's it's hard to stay in shape here. It's hard to, you know, (laughs) it's hard to, um, you know, do that healthy life because we've got so much good barbecue. Um, And, man, just like legit, there are barbecue places here where I don't even go to get the barbecue. I go to get the burger, you know. Like Top's Barbecue is famous in Memphis, and the best thing on their menu is like the double cheeseburger. It's insane. (laughs) Um, so man, just, it's like a hidden gem of a city. Mm -hmm. Um, we, we got a bad rap for a lot of years because of the crime and the murder rate and stuff like that. And all that's rooted in economics here. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and so, uh, yeah, man, if you grow up in Memphis, if you, if you live here, you, you love it and hate it. It's like, you know, you can talk bad about your family, but if somebody else does, you know, you jump on them. Uh, that 's kind of how Memphians are, like because we know all the the ins and outs the grit to it, mm-hmm. but there 's so much to love about the city, uh, so many great people, so um, yeah man, it just it formed me, molded me, uh, helped me see the world uh, from a like a cross cultural type perspective, from a mm-hmm. historical perspective, uh, so yeah man Memphis is dope and just starting to boom, and we want to see like more local people open stuff shops roasteries Mm -hmm. you know and and just keep making it
0: yeah that's awesome like um and just kind of to touch on what you talked about there in terms of like people from memphis that you don't you don't hear them say oh i'm colorblind um i just that i mean that statement in general is just like a bit ridiculous because i mean it's just false like yeah you're going to that's why you like like yeah yeah to see color and honestly, like as a, you know, as a, as a white male growing up in Canada, like I grew up, most of my school was white. Like it was, there was a couple of black people like, uh, and uh, you know, um, Middle Eastern people there and, and stuff like that. But Canada's really diversified, but I, I didn't know about most of this stuff growing up. Like it's only recently with, with kind of the, the, the stuff that's going on the racial tension and, and how it's been brought to light and hearing stories and, and then, educating myself you know reading books like i'm reading um ibrahim abram x kennedy's book stamp from the beginning and that's like blowing my mind like how far back the idea of racism goes so Yeah. yeah it's it's cool to hear like someone like yourself and it talk about it, but also put it into action. This idea of bringing everybody together because through your roastery, like your work with Flight of Fancy and with Coffee Black Bartholomew Jones and
1: mm-hmm. and that kind
0: of stuff, like I've seen it and I think it's really cool. So let's, um, yeah, let's dive into a little bit of the coffee side of things now. um yeah. What is your what's your journey in coffee? Like, what's your background? How did you get into specialty coffee? Um, yeah, what's your experience there?
1: Yeah, man. So my dad used to drink like four pots of Folgers a day, and <laughs> I grew up thinking coffee was nasty like just nasty Um, and like I mean it wasn't even like a clean coffee pot it was like (laughs) you know like he um, but so he he would drink coffee because he he was in AA Alcoholics Anonymous and so like if you if you're not going too far alcohol you just go in on coffee Mm -hmm. Um, so uh, I grew up that was like my introduction to coffee and I thought it was terrible and then you know, you get into college and it's more about community. And so, where's the spot to do that? It's the coffee mm-hmm. shop.
0: Yeah. Well,
1: you know, back in 03, you know, the spot second wave coffee was Starbucks. So, um, I was basically like, give me a coffee drink that doesn't taste like what my dad was drinking, you know? <laughs> so, started with caramel macchiatos and, and, and white mochas, stuff like that. So, I rocked a white mocha for a long time um, until I moved to Louisville, Kentucky, uh, back in like 2010. And, uh, and we would go to these coffee shops, um, and smoke pipes, uh, at the coffee shop. So then, you know, in order to do that, I'd, I'd buy a cup of coffee or something. Cause that was like $2 as opposed to like $5 latte. Um, and I learned like, okay, I could, I could kind of drink this black. This isn't bad. And then there's a dope little spot in uh, Louisville called Quills um, that had good coffee. And then uh, we moved to Chicago in 2011, um, got a job up there. And so uh, the first coffee shop in Chicago I went to, cause I asked the question, I was like, man, I wonder if Chicago has good coffee <laughs> and, and quickly, <laughs> quickly learned like, no, it, it doesn't just have good coffee. Like this is where good coffee comes and, you know, and and reside. So um, my first coffee shop was a spot called The Wormhole. And uh, it's like in in this dope little neighborhood. Uh, I go in, you walk in, and they have a DeLorean in the shop. Like like legit full-size DeLorean doors up (laughs) from the ceiling um, on this platform. I was like, bro, I'm in a different world, you know, and uh, so I walk in, and I get this Ethiopian coffee that they serve, and legit, I was like, this is better than a lot of drinks I've had, Mm -hmm. like, it's not just good coffee, this is a phenomenal drink, Mm -hmm. Um, so man, I just kept going to the wormhole, uh, doing work there, and then and then slowly, like I just hopped on the L train in Chicago mm-hmm. and legit, you could do weeks of coffee exploration just on different stops on the L train. Like they had like caffeine crawls in the city. You just hop on the blue line and you, you hit like six or seven shops, oh, like a beer sick. crawl for coffee. Yes. So, uh, man, I became a coffee head. Um, and then I got to a point where I was like, bro, I'm spending way too much money on coffee. <laughs> Yeah. Um so I was like, I wonder if I could like make it myself roast it. Uh so back in like maybe twenty thirteen I bought this little machine called a Bmore. Uh it looks like a toaster oven. I, I buy the machine, uh, and then I get some green beans from like Sweet Maria's or somewhere like that. Um and I start roasting coffee and the first one I did looked like oil. Like it was awful. It was like burn I'm surprised I didn't, you know, set it on fire. <laughs> Uh, But then slowly I started like taking back the heat on the roast, stuff like that. And um, man, I hit a point where I was like, bro, this tastes like a dark roast at Starbucks. Like, now I didn't, it wasn't good. It just, I was like, well, if they can sell it, Mm -hmm. you know, then why can't I? (laughs) Um, But, you know, we were living like in these small apartments in the city, you know, uh, like shoebox type joints. So uh, my wife hated when I roasted coffee. It made (laughs) the. The house smell like burnt popcorn. That's the uh, gross smell. Yeah, man. So I just stuck with the coffee shops for a long time. Um, and that that was like where I kind of developed my palate. was like in Chicago, taking caffeine, crawls, stuff like that.
0: Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Like, yeah, I think I like hearing the story about the Ethiopian coffee because I think there's probably a really big chunk of people in specialty coffee that had almost the same experience where you like yep. – you have that coffee and it's like this tastes like blueberries how is that possible like did they roast it with blueberries or something like that The, the yeah. baristas or whatever it's like no that's what coffee is supposed to taste like and you're like what <laughs> like, how yeah. is this possible bro people all the time ask me oh so how did you flavor it I'm yeah like,
1: this, yeah it, this is what coffee should taste like yeah
0: coffee's a fruit <laughs> yeah yeah like, that's it's it's a cherry yeah. that's supposed to taste like fruit yeah. Uh, yeah i have that conversation a lot with my friends they'll be like yo, what are all these flavor notes on this coffee bag? And I'm like, like, is it flavored like that? I'm like, no, it's just what it tastes like. That's what, that's what coffee is. Like, that's, that's what it's meant to do. Um, so then you kind of started roasting on your own uh, in your apartments, making it smell like burnt popcorn, not setting it on fire, thankfully. Um, yeah. Where did the transition happen, you know, where you were like, hey, maybe I want to do this as a profession?
1: Yeah, um, I'm still getting there.
0: <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> now, uh, actually, we moved uh, from Chicago to Memphis, so we had uh, two kids, got a third on the way, um, but we moved back to Memphis two years ago, and um, honestly, man, there, there was just something in me that was like, you know, I've, I've been working in Chicago for the past seven years. Uh, I'll, I can go anywhere I need in Memphis and get a job, and it, that just wasn't true. Uh, I couldn't find a job so like I still had this little machine and we needed like legit just needed gas and grocery money.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I said, well, okay. Uh, I took a hundred dollars Took a hundred dollars, which we didn't really have. But, um, I was just like, you know, there's this like parable in the Bible where it talks about the king who gives the talents, yep. you know, to the servants. I was like, yeah. all right, we got, if we got $2,000 to our name, and we got nineteen hundred in bills. If I just pay all the bills, you know, um, wh- I'm not investing in anything. Like I'm just going to be in the same place next mm-hmm. month. And so I took it and I said, "Let me invest in some green beans, and I can turn this hundred maybe into two hundred, and then we'll be good for like another month or whatever." So I bought some Kenyan coffee um, uh, off, you know, from some importers, like some very small batch. I was able to do a pound an hour. Um, and so my thought, I, I sold these eight ounce bags for $12 and I thought, all right, the first month I'll get four orders and two will be from my mom. Um, <laughs> you know, and I'm sure I got two friends who I can talk into it. And then boom, I got, you know, close to 50 bucks and we can get some gas and groceries. And so I ended up getting 20 orders the first month, wow. um, and doing an hour, you know, a pound an hour was just brutal. That's a grind. Um, so after like two months of that, like it started to become a legit, like I could actually sell this, you know, in bigger batches. So um, got a bigger roaster that did three pounds at a time. So I could do like 12, 15 pounds an hour. And then one day, man, I just, I was driving uh, in, in my neighborhood and there's this spot called the Bean and Barley and they sold beer and coffee. And I just walked in and said, Hey, if y'all want locally roasted coffee, here's some stuff. I had this like terrible brown bag with like this little coffee ring design I did on Canva for free. Yeah, I was a one man show. I designed everything myself. Um, And so they, they picked it up, started selling it, um, all that kind of like a consignment type deal. Mm -hmm. And then slowly it picked up. And then that's when, um, I met Bartholomew Jones. Um, and so he approached me and he had had my Ethiopian coffee. Uh, I had this Ethiopian Guji and it was, it was legit. It was really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was like, man, I got this idea for a coffee called Guji Maine. Um, and so like, that was like the beginning of Ethnos coffee, I would say becoming super legit, mm-hmm. you know, um, where it's like, okay, this can actually be a real legitimized company,
0: you know? Rad, that's, yeah, that's like, first of all, great, cool story, man. Like, um, <clears throat> thanks for ch- being willing to share that. Like, um, yeah. I always really love the stories of these small shops. Like, I had um, the last podcast or the next podcast that will be released in the series um, and before this one airs is with, uh, Carlos Sims from Happy Home. And oh, okay. uh yeah. So he's he uh, small small roaster again, like just started with a small machine in his house, like just needed yeah. income, like after you know, leaving a job and stuff like that. So it's yep. cool to hear like the that coffee can provide these kind of opportunities for people and yeah and, and tight. So then when so you you hooked up with Bartholomew Jones and uh, Coffee Black and good helped him create Gucci Main and um so then what like, where did the name, where did Ethnos come from? What's kind of the, you know, the vision, I guess, of your company? Like, what are you trying to accomplish?
1: Yeah, man. So what, honestly, the name came from me sitting at the kitchen table, literally in the spot I'm sitting right now. <laughs> and, um, I asked the question, I was like, okay, if I were to start a business, you know, like just hit a side hustle, I, what would I do? What would, what, you know, um, and I thought a lot about like, I don't know a lot about branding. I don't know a lot about the ins and outs. So my thinking was, who am I and what can I, what's most most authentic to me? Like, mm-hmm. let me just not worry about anybody else in their opinion on if they like the name or the brand, mm-hmm. anything like that. What is me? Like I get to run the company. I get to make, you know, Um, and so uh, man, I've been a pastor for a decade. And so I know the, you know, a lot of the Greek language uh, and ethnos is the Greek word for nations, you know, where we, you know, obviously get ethnicity, stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I'm big on, um, you know, cross-cultural relationships and, you know, having different people at your table. Um, and so um man, I was just like, man, I'll do Ethnos Coffee, because there was a spot, there was a few spots in Chicago that have weird names, and it stuck out to me, to where it was like, you know, the product made their brand, not the name, you know, like, Apple computers, like, the, the product creates that, nobody thinks, oh, Apple, that is brilliant, you know, (laughs) like, you know, but the product does. So for me, I was like, ethnos represents like the different people we're trying to have around our table, like who are different cultures, different race, different worldview, different backgrounds, all that stuff. Um, You know, race is, it's a construct, you know, to kind of, to divide, to conquer, to uh, separate, to bring about superiority stuff like that. But ethnicity is real. Like mm-hmm. your language, your culture, stuff like that, representing like who you are and your worldview that's that's real, so um I wanted to kind of have this conversation about our differences being cross culture, um but I wanted it to be rooted in like authentic you know uh difference between us, not just a surface level, hey, we've created race to separate us, so um ethnos man, it, it was just a, it was a word that one, I just thought nobody's, nobody's going to have this name. Um, and two, it just represented like my vision. Like if I were to have a coffee company, what's the vision It's to get people from across cultures around tables together. Yeah. Uh, and it, and man, I just encourage anybody who's like starting business, don't think through target market and like trying to be, some sort of genius on this stuff just go authentically with like what you would be passionate about pushing you know and, and working for so that's kind of the the origin
0: of it that's awesome and i think i think you're onto something there like i think uh, the traditional way in the past that business has been business has been started you know this i you know part of, part of my course in college was uh, uh, learning how to open up a business. And essentially we had to write a business plan and all of the focus is on the financials, all of it, everything. Like you got to figure out your, what's your customer base, what's your target market, how much, you know, how much of that customer base can you possibly get and all this kind of stuff that you don't get to spend time trying to figure out, well, what's the point. But then when you get into the business world and you learn, well, what drives good companies and it's consistently mm-hmm. the mission and the vision yep. when that is in line with everybody in the organization and everything, like, that's what drives a business forward. So it's like, well, why don't we spend more time on that? Like that should be the goal.
1: And so I think now
0: so many young people starting new businesses are like, I'm just going to do what I'm passionate about because my vision is going to drive what I'm doing. Yes. And honestly, through even these few conversations that I've had on this podcast, like that is just becoming more evident. Like with everybody I talk to that's opening these, these places, it's just, yeah, like this is what I'm passionate about. And you know, I find people that are just as passionate about it and we, work together to create this thing and it's like that's perfect great you don't need to know like you don't need to have like documents of cash flow and like all this kind of stuff ready to go like
1: yeah I I was talking to Bartholomew Jones and he was like man I I wonder what it would take to get into roasting and I was like bro it took me a (laughs) hundred dollars like you know you can start on a popcorn machine and then get some greens and like literally you have a coffee business right there that's you unreal. know, some people will tell you, well, you need about 150,000, you know, mm-hmm. I'm like, bro, I did it with a hundred like, dollars. So, yeah. And, and then the, like the whole target market thing, um, I've always had a difficult time with that. Um, so I've always just gone for target values, like, mm-hmm. because you can have similar values span the demographics all the mm-hmm. way across. So, that that's like, that's been the lane we've stuck in is like target value as opposed to a target market, you know, cause you're just not going to be able to please everyone mm-hmm. with your product. Coffee is very subjective. It's finicky. It's, you know, one harvest could be phenomenal and the next one could taste like grass. Like it's just, it's hard, but some people rock with you through that stuff because they buy into your mission, your vision, your values.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. And that's, uh, like, it's really cool to hear as well that you're, you know, you were a pastor and, and things like that. Like it's, uh, I work at the Muskoka woods is a Christian organization as well. So we're based, we're based all around that. And, uh,
1: yeah.
0: and I was talking to, talking to Carlos, Carlos, same thing. He he's, you know, he's a Christian guy and to he, and to hear, you know, people start to cross their businesses and their personal life together to create, like you said, this, this stream of values that people can agree with and be like, yeah, I'm I'm going to join them because I agree with who they are. Not necessarily like, yeah, I like their product and everything, but I'm more, you know, latched on to their mission and vision. And that's why I stick with them. That's why I'm loyal and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's, that's super cool. And, uh,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and to hear your pastor as well, like that's, that's awesome. That's, that's just, that's dope. Like yeah. Yeah. Part of the
1: company's goal now is to help support this uh, church plant that we're doing uh, here in the city. Like we're in the suburbs. I'm finding, I'm very city like urban. Okay. I'm city. Uh, My family is, man, Chicago was tough, you know, Mm -hmm. like on my wife and kids, it's just ramped and you know, you pay a million dollars for nothing. Yeah. And so, um, so we find ourselves like kind of more in the suburbs and, like I'm finding, there's not a lot of great coffee shops, and there's mm-hmm. uh, there's not a lot of uh, multi-ethnic churches out here. Right. And so I, I'm finding myself in that lane where I'm going, okay, we can bring this to the communities that are more segregated, even right. though they're diverse, they're still segregated in function. Yeah. Um, and so we're we're planning a church called Amago Day, uh, where part of the vision is to remove racial cultural barriers, class barriers, and, you know, make disciples in that way, uh, cross culturally. So, um, the, the coffee stuff is kind of like a, um, how we see the gospel in the church. Like it, it's kind of like, this is what it looks like in the business world, mm-hmm. um, uniting all people from all backgrounds and cultures and stuff. And so mm-hmm. we think the church should be able to do that. Um, so that's that's kind of where a lot of the inspiration came from too.
0: Man, that's that's awesome. That's yeah. so cool. I'm just hyped we connected now. Like this, this is yeah, great. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's sick, man. Uh, I, one of the questions I had that um, that I, I kind of wanted to, I, I think I forgot to ask uh, Carlos this, but like, what's something about coffee roasting or owning a roastery that you know maybe surprised you or you think the public might not know that is like different or Like what's owning a roaster you would like?
1: Yeah. um, (laughs) uh, Man. I would say when, when, uh, when I would drink coffee, I'd be like, man, these dudes know exactly what they're doing and they know (laughs) how to duplicate it. And (laughs) um, you know, these dudes are experts, Yeah. you know, and uh, I'm finding like, now nah, everybody's still learning roasting yeah. even if they've been doing it for 30 years yeah. like, <laughs> like constantly learning there's a coffee uh, coffee roaster here in Memphis uh, called Boycott Coffee and yeah, so they're yeah. like big into like the activism part of coffee and they do a phenomenal job highlighting stuff and I'm learning a lot from them mm-hmm. uh, But they're just good people Um, but this campaign they just released is called trust your taste buds and they talk about the specialty coffee industry, how, you know, it was like, Oh, it scores this many points and it's got these flavor notes and Mm -hmm. and all this. And they're saying, you know, Hey, we're going directly to some farmers getting some stuff that may not actually technically qualify to certain standards of being specialty. Mm -hmm. Um, but it can be a phenomenal cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's like what I'm finding in roasting is, uh, there is a science to it, but the science is more like fundamental foundational stuff, like principles that help guide. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's the art that changes day in and day out, which is like, that's part of what we love about our flight of fancy collaboration is oh, like pumped uh, to get that. partnering with, um, partnering with a local artist who I went to high school with here in Memphis. Oh, sick. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. And so that, that was that connection. And so, um, you know, he does these phenomenal, uh, murals around the city. He does these paintings that are incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, he does apparel shirts, stuff like that. And I find myself like I legit just want to buy it because I like it, yeah. you know? Um, and so there's a big, art form to it. And and I'm finding with coffee roasting, like there's a lot of art to it. You're having to figure stuff out. Sure. You can create reproducible uh, profiles, but like just figuring out this flight of fancy coffee was actually the most difficult roasting I've ever done. Hmm. Um, I, I didn't have the profile finished until the day before it released. Uh, yeah. It was, it was very stressful. Yeah. It's um, tight. That's so,
0: that's real close.
1: Yeah. There's a lot that happens like, you know, in the roastery that like you just like Oh, okay. Like they're figuring a lot of this stuff out, you know, and there's guiding principles and, you know, stuff that you stick with to make sure there's quality and stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, man, I'm finding like, if you just learn how to roast, like most people can become a roaster, like, hmm. you know, um, a lot of people can't because they don't want to take time to learn the science of it or maybe don't appreciate the art, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't just like write yourself off and go, there's no way I could ever do that. You know, cause I never saw myself. I thought I'd be in the NBA, but I'm a five foot nine white guy, <laughs> yeah. you know, who eats too much barbecue. So, <laughs> you know, uh, I didn't think I would own a coffee roasting company, you mm-hmm.
0: know? That's yeah, that's cool. I love hearing people talk about coffee as an art form and I'm, I'm a, like, that's the side I'm on as well. I find like sometimes in the coffee industry, there's like this divide of, you know, people who are really about the science and like the technicality of things and like reproducing like exactness. And I think that's great. And I think there's a need for that. Uh, mm-hmm. But then if you stray too far, you know, you get those people that are arguing that like robots can make better coffee than people. And I'm like, well, that's not the point of coffee at all. Like yeah. you, you just wait, like the whole point of coffee is community and connection. Yeah. And if you put yep. a robot behind the bar, that's has gone.
1: Yeah. Because yeah. Like, there weren't like these software programs always in specialty coffee. Like um, some of these professionals are like, yeah, I just started using a software program this decade. I was doing it by time, sight and smell, mm-hmm. you know? So like, it's always been an art form, so yeah. to speak. So yeah. But, yeah, there's a lot that you just think, oh, these dudes got it all figured out. And I'm sure some do, man. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, a guy like me, I'm, there's a lot I'm still figuring out and learning. And I think I will forever learn,
0: you know. How but that's the it. mindset you got to have, right? Like, I think when people start to think, okay, I've got this figured out. Yeah. Like, then well, you're at a plateau then. Your, your product's not going to get any better. if you If right. you don't think you can learn something, like, that's just wrong.
1: Bro, That's when you hire the young hungry dude who wants to learn or, or, you know, that, that girl who just has this interest in coffee and wants to learn how to do it. Hire them, have them roast it because they're going to learn how to take your stuff to a different level than, you know.
0: Yeah. That was how I got my starting coffee. I'd never worked at a cafe. Like I was, I've always worked in the camping industry and the outdoor recreation industry and coaching and all that kind of stuff. And then when my wife and I moved, moved to Northern Ireland to Belfast for a couple of years, uh, I wanted to get in a coffee and I applied to a bunch of shops and the one shop that was like stoked on how passionate I was took a chance on me and like, I ended up loving it. But uh, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Like the people who want to learn, like you can learn whatever it is you need to do. Like, qualifications and all that kind of stuff sometimes are important, but I think they're overrated as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, like, a, whole, yeah. a whole other conversation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, awesome, man. Like uh, I just had a couple more um, questions. One would be um, what would you like to see in the coffee industry moving forward? Because I think like right now there's a big opportunity for a pivot, Um, Mm. not only in the world, in the world of coffee, like in the world in general, but we'll focus on the coffee thing. Like what would you want to see happen? That's maybe not necessarily happening right now.
1: Um, I think it's beginning to happen. Um, But coffee shops serving the people of the community they're in. Mm. You know, there, there's a dope little spot that is having a soft opening, uh, tomorrow actually, which I guess when this releases, it'll already be open called Muggin coffee house, black. Oh, yeah, I'm following house, them. Yeah. Yeah. South Memphis. Um, yeah. you know, and, uh, I haven't had a chance to go down there, but I want to, to support and, and you know, just seeing like black owned coffee shops and black communities, mm-hmm. uh, serving, you know, folks of that community. So, um, I think that would be uh, a good pivot is, um, man, my big, I would say my biggest thing is, um, I had this little campaign I've been thinking about called collaboration over competition. Yeah. And, um, you know, I know we're all doing business. I know we're all trying to eat, you know, and we're trying to secure wholesale accounts or, you know, we want to be the one to supply the coffee shop. Um, but bro, like coffee is a hundred billion dollar, you know, industry and growing like there is enough money for all of us to eat. Uh, So I would like to see local roasters like support each other, collaborate with each other more Mm -hmm. as opposed to edge each other out because man, the big national chains like that, Hey, that's supporting families too. Mm -hmm. Um, But like what I want to see for like city like Memphis is we have several really good coffee roasters here. You know, Vice and Virtue, Dr. Beans, Boycott Coffee, Reverb. Uh, there's a few more here that I'm just not even thinking of. Um, but uh, I would I want to see all of them eat. You know, and I want to see all of them grow their business as well. You know, as Ethnos growing business and so i would like to see all the local shops grow expand and then the national chains like hey y'all hit up the places that don't have coffee mm-hmm. you know y'all y'all start supporting the communities that don't have coffee cuz y'all can y'all can do that mm-hmm. you know and so um i'd like to see more collaboration uh, i know that that gets tricky with business like if it's a side hustle it's easier to do that if it's your main source of income that's how you're getting bread to provide for your family. I know the fear that would come with that. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's why I'm building my company. Like just to say, we're going to do this from the start. And that's, that's actually like where the collaboration series started coming along was I'm not looking for equity and ownership in coffee black. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm more so I want to partner with them Mm -hmm. so that they can eat too and they can succeed too. Mm-hmm. I'm not looking for equity and ownership and flight of fancy. I'm looking to put his brand out there. Like mm-hmm. we started collaborating with him and he texted me. He was like, bro, shirt sales have been going crazy. And I was like, so yeah,
0: awesome.
1: coffee is a brilliant marketing tool
0: yeah,
1: as well as a product. Um, and so that's how I approach coffee a lot of times. Like, yeah, we have our products, we have our single origins and we're about to release like our first house blend drip Mm -hmm. type of thing. Um, but man, this is going to bring exposure to small businesses here in the city, you know? Uh, so now I get to see my guy who owns an art, you know, company. I get to see him make more money and maybe get a bigger studio or put more savings or buy, buy a house on the block, help a family out, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. Um, so I just think there's something to collaboration uh, because coffee is communal as is like, it's about building relationships. So I'm ready to see like the coffee dividing type business stuff just die. Like, yeah. I you know, miss me with that. Let's use coffee to build up each other's businesses and families and get around the table and let's all eat. So yeah. Yeah, that's a a long answer to your short question.
0: That's a great. That's that's the best kind of answer. That that was. Yeah, yeah I, 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 and I think yeah. you're, you're you're you totally nailed it. Like, I think more collaboration, you mm-hmm. know, less less competition. I think that's that's absolutely the way that it should move forward. And I think that just will create more spaces for more people. So, yeah, um, yeah, I really like that. And then last question: Do you have like a a dream coffee, like from a certain location, certain varietal, that you would love to roast?
1: Man, I, I want to try one from Yemen. Um, my my dream, like, go-to coffee is it's, like, Ethiopia Guji, number one, mm-hmm. and then, like, a good syrupy Kenyan, number two. Nice. But as far as, like, what I haven't roasted, um, I have not roasted anything from Yemen. And uh, I've just heard some, some great things. So um, I'm looking forward to, like, sourcing that. Bro, it's just pricey. And you know, it's it's scary to like sample roast stuff that's like ten and twenty dollars a pound and you're going, uh, okay.
0: You I better mean, not screw that up. <laughs> yeah, I don't want
1: to mess this up, you know. So yeah. uh, because you can do something on like a small sample roaster and it turn out great, you know, fifty to two hundred grams. Mm-hmm. But that first batch of like ten or thirty pounds that goes in the roaster and you go. Okay, like here we go. We're just gonna figure this out. <laughs> you know that's scary to me. Yeah. So hey, if there's any Yemen coffee connects out there that just want to send me some free samples, like send them my way. Okay, uh, I don't know how
0: many of them will be listening to this yeah. tiny podcast, but <laughs> if they have yeah. it's, great. it's
1: gonna blow up. Uh, we're yeah. putting it out there. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, man. I think probably Yemen, uh, just because that's the one I haven't. I was super interested in Yunnan. Um, you know i was like coffee from china like is that gonna be good and it's legit like my favorite coffee right now so um yeah man awesome. but i'm open to anything like yeah. i wish i could grow coffee in memphis
0: yeah yeah <laughs> <Do that. laughs> but yeah that'd be, that'd be pretty sick if we could grow coffee anywhere um yeah. oh man Kenny, thanks. I appreciate you taking the time to come on the, come on the pod. This was a great conversation. Um, I had an awesome time like hearing from you, learning from you, hearing your heart, uh, behind everything. Um, and, uh, I hope big things are coming, man. Cause the coffee world needs more of you for sure. So um, appreciate that, man. keep it up and, and thanks for coming on and we'll, uh, we'll hopefully have you, back if, if the podcast keeps going, we'll have you back on to talk about more basketball and more coffee things and all that kind of stuff enjoyed it that way I can give you my hot take yeah hot takes every time I'll save my hot take for next time. Perfect. All right, man, this, this was great. Thanks very much. All right. Thanks Mark. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Kenny. Uh, I know I did that. Yeah. He's just a, a great guy. Um, incredible passion for what he does, incredible passion for people he works with. And, uh, yeah, I totally agree with his, um, his idea of more collaboration and less competition. And I think that's the way the coffee industry is going. I think that's the way it needs to go. And I think it is the way it is going. The more we can connect with people and the less we need to fight for, you know, this massive market share, then, uh, the better the industry will be. So, uh, just want to thank Kenny for coming on. It was, it was awesome having him, um, pumped to potentially get him on the podcast again down the road. And yeah. So once again, everybody, thank you for listening to pass the brew. We've got more awesome conversations with awesome people coming up and, uh, I hope you keep listening. We'll see you all next time.